saw Randy put this up really high when he came up, and I got to put her back down. Well, great to be here with you guys this morning. Um, it's been a while. Been here a couple times before, but um, but it's been a while, so I was just really happy to get the invite uh, back to, to just worship with you guys here this morning. So, And Marshall was here um, last week and uh, gave you a little update on the camp um, season and, and how things are going there. So, so it's going to be more of just a traditional message this morning um, since Marshall already kind of filled you in on, on camp activity. So uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 this morning. Yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, passages, and uh, since um, since I'm just here, you know, with you one Sunday, and I I wasn't here last week to say, uh, hey, everyone, read Acts chapter ten so that we're ready to roll uh, this morning. We're actually going to go ahead and just read um, Acts chapter ten, and uh, and that'll avoid if you're like me and I haven't. Uh, read the passage ahead of time while the pastor is delivering a message. I'm back there reading the passage to kind of refresh my memory and missing part of what he's saying. So so to avoid that, we're just going to go ahead and read it together, um, which will take you know a fair amount of our time. But there's seven things uh, in this passage that I want to kind of draw out. So so we'll uh, we'll read it together and, and uh, I'll comment on a few things here and then we'll wrap up with seven things that we can learn from from this passage. So Acts chapter 10, uh, starting verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now, uh, Cornelius was a, was a Roman centurion, you know, not a Jew. He was a Gentile, and uh, at this point in the early church, you know, the uh, the Holy Spirit came uh, in Acts chapter two at, at Pentecost, and and uh, the word of God is just spreading like crazy here. But up to this point, it's more or less just been a, a Jewish thing, and the early you know uh, apostles, disciples, they were still not really understanding that this was to spread to the whole world. And so we're kind of at this really pivotal moment here with uh, this story and Cornelius being a Gentile, being even a, even a Roman, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, seen as the oppressor of, um, of the Jews at that time. But it said he was a God-fearing man. I mean, he obviously, um, you know, knew the God of Israel, knew the God of um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, he was praying at three in the afternoon, which was a Jewish hour of prayer, uh, the ninth hour of the day. And so um, so there was a lot to be said good of, of Cornelius here. Verse four, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He said. And again, he, he addressed um, the messenger as Lord, which is a very respectful um, you know, reverential title there. The angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. 
He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Uh, now, Caesarea was along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and, and Joppa is, is about um, 30 miles south of that along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And so they had about 30 miles um, to go here, but he sent them out um, right away to, um, to head down to, to Joppa. Verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, um, it was noon the following day when they got there. So what's about 30, 30 miles from here? How far is um, Callaway? Roughly? Okay, Oconto maybe, be closer to 30. Yeah, Kearney is probably maybe not quite 30, right? Okay, so Cornelius had this vision at 3 in the afternoon, and, uh, and he talked to his attendants about it, and they probably gathered a few supplies. So I'm guessing 4 or 5 in the afternoon, uh, he sent them out on a 30-day or a 30-mile hike down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So it's getting kind of late in the day, and they get there at noon the following day. So I'm thinking these guys really, I mean... They were they were good good servants. They were good uh, uh, obedient guys, and they must have really respected Cornelius because he said go, and they went. I mean, they maybe slept a few hours in the middle of the night, but I'm thinking if I took off, you know, right about supper time, to walk to, you know, Oconto from here and got there the next at noon the next day, I I made some good time. Uh, so, so it's. I think sometimes when we read through Scripture, we just kind of read through the dialogue, but we don't really think about what's going on and the the effort and the the urgency uh, in the story here. So Peter went up on the roof to pray. Verse ten. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And so he's, he's referencing these, these things in, that were in this sheet. They were um, ceremonial, ceremonially unclean to a Jew. Uh, it goes back to some of the, the dietary laws, some of the Levitical laws. And so Peter, being a, a devout Jew, you know, this would have been very repulsive, offensive uh, to him to see these and have someone say, kill and eat. No, no, no. I've never done anything like this. I've never eaten anything like this. No, surely not. This is not what I'm supposed to do. In verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was still wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up. And go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, 
We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men inside the house to be his guests. So Cornelius, up to this point, Cornelius doesn't know what Peter has to say to him, and the men don't know what Peter has to say to him, and Peter doesn't know. Uh, so up to this point, and this is a really interesting thing, everybody's just kind of taking the next step you know, in front of them that the Lord's showing them, and no one really knows the end game here. Um, Cornelius had the vision, and Peter had the vision, and, and so they're kind of getting this thing together. And uh, these guys, exhausted from the trip, no doubt, um, needed some, some rest, some food. And so Peter invited him in. And then they set out the next day. So these guys got a little bit of chance to catch their breath and a little bit of chance to recuperate. And uh, the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Verse 24. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. And so they took uh, two days to, to get back there, so they weren't uh, quite as... They had a, a bigger gathering of people. It went from three to, to Peter and some other believers that had went along just to see what was going to happen. You know, this, it was a pretty exciting thing. This Roman centurion sent guys down to ask for Peter to come share with them. And so these Jewish believers, I think, you know, I, I don't know what they had in mind, if, if they were compassionate or they thought, oh, yeah, Peter's really going to give it to this Roman centurion or what, but they were kind of along to, to just see what was going to happen, and nobody really knows yet. And so the following day, verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? And so it's finally starting to become a little bit more clear. Uh, Peter went with, uh, with the, the servants of Cornelius. He's now standing at the house of a Gentile. And he's like, this is another thing I've never done. This is against the law. I shouldn't be hanging out with these people. These are kind of like, uh, you know, the, not the outcasts, but just not my people. You know, these, this, this isn't my group of people. I, I shouldn't be here. But he finally is kind of realizing what his vision meant, and uh, and you know, and he says, I, "I realize that I shouldn't be calling you guys unclean. I shouldn't be kind of thinking that that uh, I'm I'm better than you." And so Cornelius answered, verse thirty: Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, "Cornelius." God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. 
And Cornelius is really showing just what a just what an awesome guy he is, really. I mean, he's he's a Roman centurion uh, in the Italian regiment. He might have had 600 guys uh, underneath of his command, and he sends for this lowly Jew and treats him with such respect and invites him in, even falls at his feet and uh, and says, hey, I've gathered all my friends and family, and it's it was good of you to come. Not, I ordered you to come, but thank you for coming. It was it was really gracious of you to come to my house. So Cornelius is he's he's a pretty neat guy. In my book, he's he's right up there in scripture with some just really um, really awesome guys. So verse thirty four. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. I think it's interesting. He says they killed him. Uh, you know, the, the Romans are the one that hung him on the cross. Of course, the, they were doing what the Jews were, were chanting. And, you know, the mob was saying, crucify Jesus. Uh, and this was the plan that God had ordained to the foundation of the world to, to bring man back to himself. There had to be a replacement. There had to be someone um, that was perfect that could satisfy the wrath of God. But, you know, in all that, it was the Romans who hung him on the cross. And uh, Peter said they killed him, uh, referencing somebody that wasn't there, not uh, Cornelius. Uh, your guys <laughs> killed him. You, you know about all that. Now, it's like he, you know, Peter's being very kind here kind of casting the blame outside of the group that was there. They killed him. He was not seen, as verse 41, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter is just doing a fantastic job starting at the baptism uh, of John and just walking Cornelius and his, his relatives and his friends through the gospel story that at this time wasn't, wasn't neatly arranged in New Testament, you know, written form like we have. This is, this is all happening and so he references back to, to the scripture they did have, to the prophets, that all the prophets tell about the coming Messiah, tell about Jesus. He was the one that they talked about. Uh, he, he was hung on a cross, but he was raised from the dead, and, and, and we ate with him. We talked with him. Jesus walked and talked on this earth for 40 days and appeared to over 500 witnesses before he ascended into heaven. Sometimes we, we kind of forget that, that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just a quick thing that nobody saw. You know, he was here, and, and Peter's proclaiming that. 
In verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, so he's just talking about the Jewish believers there, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So it's just a, a just just an amazing story that um, of of faithfulness of of guys taking the next step but not really knowing the end game, and then it all comes together here when uh, Cornelius says, "You know, a, a heavenly messenger said to send for you." Peter said. Well, I had a vision that said I should go, and uh, I, I really don't feel like I was supposed to do this because of our law, but now I'm realizing that I wasn't really understanding uh, the sacrifice of Jesus correctly. I wasn't understanding that that his sacrifice, the gospel message, was to go out everywhere, and so he just laid it down very plainly uh, what uh, God's plan was to buy back sinful humanity to himself through his sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, now Jesus defeated death and defeated sin and rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God. And, and while Peter's proclaiming this life-changing, destiny-altering message, the Holy Spirit comes on the Gentiles there, comes on all who heard the message, the relatives, the friends, and good job, Cornelius, for going out and, and, and getting your relatives, getting your friends, and, and bringing them to your house he knew the importance of this event. And uh, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and, and the Jews that were there said, oh, wow, this we didn't know this was going to happen. This is part of the mystery of the gospel, that Jesus died for everybody. And, uh, and, and they believed, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And because of that, Peter said, you know, who can stop these people from identifying with Christ? Who can stop these people from from having a public show of what has just happened, this miraculous event uh, that we've all witnessed. Let's go down, let's get them baptized, uh, and let's let them publicly show what has happened, the inner transformation that just happened. And so we come to our our seven uh, things that, and, and un undoubtedly there's more than that um, to draw from this passage. Um one of the really neat things uh, to do, and if you haven't already, is just take a passage, maybe a, maybe a verse, or maybe like we're doing here this morning, a whole chapter, and just read through it, pray about it, read through it again, just quietly sit and think about it, and just see what, what God uh, will reveal in your mind and in your heart about the passage. That's, it's, it's, really, it's really fun and exciting to do. And uh, it's honestly something I didn't really do until I was asked to fill the pulpit and share with a group of people. And then you're like, oh, man, the, the pressure's on, you know, I got to think of something to say. But it's not really, you know, it's not really me that's thinking of something to say. It's just, it's just letting the Word of God speak to you. It's alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And, and so if you haven't done that, that's exciting. So these seven things are just kind of what the Lord uh, revealed to me through this passage um, as I was reading through it. The first thing, and if you're someone that takes notes, you, you can write these down. 
Both men received word from God while they were alone and praying. And so I think there's there's really some serious life application there. A lot of people, I just don't know what the Lord wants me to do, or how do I know if it's the will of God, and all these things. But you, just like Jesus made the perfect example and model for us, he always went out by himself alone to be with the Father. And something, I enjoy kayaking, and uh, kind of actually got into that through the camp ministry friend of mine was really into kayaking and helped us set up a kayak trip. And, and so now we take campers quite a bit kayaking and, and something that I've really come to enjoy. And one thing that's unique for me about kayaking is uh, there's just, there's no one else in my boat. <laughs> it's the kayak only seats one person. I mean, you can get a tandem, but our kayaks only seat one person and the river naturally separates you uh, somewhat. And so you find yourself floating down the river or wherever you're at, and, and oftentimes just beautiful scenery uh, by yourself. And it's quiet. And there's no there's no technology, there's no distractions. And uh, after, especially we take a group of campers, it's always rush, rush, rush. My mind's going crazy, and I'm thinking about keeping everybody safe and, and getting the staff strategically placed on the river so they can help out the campers and we get everybody off and shove them and i'm usually the last one kind of help bringing up the rear get everybody shoved off and i finally get off and i get in my kayak and finally take a breath and then i'm thinking did we do this did we okay is the person going to get around to the end with the van and the trailer and one two three four five okay we have everybody up there and after all that settles down, it's about 20, 30 minutes into the float, and uh, all of a sudden, a hymn pops into my mind. And as long as no one's too close, I just start singing, you know, victory in Jesus. Where's it, you know, where's that come from? It wasn't on the agenda or the list, or it's just being alone with the Lord and saying, wow. You know, thank you, Lord, for this this beautiful creation, this beautiful day, this opportunity that you're giving us here, and just being quiet and being alone and being in fellowship with the Lord. And uh, and just like with Cornelius and Peter, that's when they received their word from the Lord was when they were alone and praying. Number two, Cornelius was devout. He was righteous. He was God fearing. There's a lot of great things that can be said about Cornelius, but that wasn't enough. God said, you need to send for Peter because he has a message for you that you need to hear. And Cornelius wasn't saved, and his eternal destiny wasn't changed until he believed in what Jesus Christ had done for him on the cross. And so that has some real application, especially, I think, in, in the middle of Nebraska here. We have a lot of great, great people, just fantastic people. And I have a lot of great friends, that, and, and I'll talk to them, I'll share with them about the Lord, but they think that if they're good enough, everything's fine. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy. Um, you know, I, I treat people... Uh, well, you know, I, I try to be honest with my business dealings. And, you know, when when it comes to my time, 
everything will work out okay. No, that's not, that's not the gospel message. The message is that we're all fallen. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. We all fall short of the perfect standard of, of God. God is perfect and holy and awesome, and he created everything that way. It was man that messed it up. You know, the original creation was perfect, and and man and God walked and talked together because there was nothing separating them. And God wants that relationship again, and that's why he sent his son to die for us. Being good, devout, giving generously, all those things are, are good, but that's not the cure. That's not the solution. Jesus Christ is the solution, and those other things are an outworking of our devotion to him. Number three, God doesn't have favorites. God does not show favoritism. So who am I avoiding? <laughs> or who who do I, yeah, I, I mean, okay, I can, my head knowledge, I acknowledge that Jesus, that, that God loves them, that God sent his son Jesus to redeem them, but... They can be someone else's project. You know, I I don't know. I just don't know if I really want to get into that. You know, how many of us have said things like that? You know, we, we create a lot of political divisions in America. So think about someone maybe on the other extreme politically that like, ah, uh, I mean, I guess Jesus died for them. All right, I'm not naming any names. I'm just throwing it out there for you guys to ponder. God doesn't have favorites. Jesus Christ came and died for all. They don't have to they don't have to think the same as us or have all this the, the same priority list and all that. You know, a lot of that stuff the Holy Spirit can can sort out within an individual and they don't need our input. They just need the gift of of God's Son. Number four, the gospel requires immediate action. Okay, in this story, there's no hanging around, um, pondering, wondering what's going on. Uh, Cornelius had a heavenly messenger that said, go get Peter. And Cornelius said, it's going to be dark here pretty soon, guys, but I don't care. You go get Peter. You got 30 miles ahead of you. Get to hopping. And by noon the next day, they were standing at Peter's house. And Peter had the vision and said, okay, yeah, uh, here, rest up, because we got 30 miles of hiking to do tomorrow, and let's get to going. And so the gospel requires immediate action. If there's someone on your mind or someone you know that, that needs to hear about the Lord, don't hesitate, don't wait. Number five, the messenger is just a tool. It's the message that's important. It's a message that has the power to change someone's eternal destiny. When Peter went, he could have, I mean, he had a Roman centurion bowing at his feet. I mean, if there was ever an occasion where a Jew had a chance to puff out his chest and be like, yeah, that's right, 
It was, it was that occasion. But Peter didn't do that. Cornelius bowed at his feet, and he said, oh, no, 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 get up, get up. I'm, I'm just a man. I'm, there's nothing special here. You know, get up. I, um, your guys said that you needed to speak to me. What, you know, what, what, why'd you send for me? What do we need to uh, talk about here? And so Peter understood, and we need to understand, the messenger is just a tool. So if you have someone on your mind that you need to, that you know needs to hear about the Lord, get over yourself. Okay, it's not your persuasive words or or just fantastic arguments or or what. It's not it's not us. It's 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 us being willing to let God use us to work in and through us. It's the message that has the power. It's not the messenger. Number six, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the message. That's what's important, and all who believe in him will be saved. And that's, I mean, we all know that, but that's exactly what Peter shared with those in Cornelius' house, and the Holy Spirit came on all who believed. That's the, that's the message. That's the power. And number seven, the last one. And Randy said for me to be done by 10, and man, we are doing good. If it wasn't for the, the fifth Sunday offering, but that's good. But, you know, we're going to take up an offering here in just a minute. <clears throat> Number seven, it's an all-in commitment. Okay, following Christ is not a Cornelius, you know, it wasn't a, oh, okay, thanks for sharing with me, Peter. Um, yeah, all right, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, now I can go about my, you know, I can go about my life and go about my day. No, it's a all-in commitment, and that was we see that in the story through the baptism. Now, did they have a a baptismal in Cornelius's house? No, you know they were right beside the Mediterranean Sea. So I don't know if they went down to the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. I, I'm guessing probably that's where they went. But they said, "Hey, this um, this centurion, this Roman centurion." It's going to go out in the middle of, of Caesarea, which is a very busy uh, coastal city, and get baptized and identify with this crazy Jesus movement. You know, these crazy Christians that are spreading all over the area. This Roman centurion and his whole family and all of his friends went down in public sight and view of everyone and said, this is, this is real. This is where I'm going to put all of my faith, my hope, my trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who, who defeated death and rose again. And, and they got baptized. It was an all-in commitment. And we don't know really what happened to Cornelius after that, but I'm guessing his life changed a lot. Um, he, maybe he lost his, his status uh, in, in the Roman you know, army there. I don't know. We don't know. But, but it was it was an all in. Uh, no turning back, and that probably meant persecution, too. And so that's something that that we can learn from this story. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in in God's kingdom. It's all in. Jump in with both feet and let's get to going. Thank you guys. I appreciate um, you having me and turn it over to you.